Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with my friend, James Shotwell. James works with the company Holix, where he focuses on digital music distribution and their music industry job board, which is an ever-growing list of music industry job openings all over the country. If you are looking for a job in the music industry, this is a great place to start. Get your pen and pad and get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, we are talking with my friend James Shotwell. How are you today, sir? I am doing well, sir. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for um, for letting me come over and hang out with you. Yeah. So you're you're not from Nashville. You're in town visiting. Yes. And um, just for my listeners to kind of know, this is kind of a, a funny little story because you and I tried this before Yeah. over the computer, that Zencaster program mm-hmm. that I use. And we were like halfway through the interview. I know. We were like 20 minutes in. Something like that. And all of a sudden, I lost you. Yeah. And a couple of minutes later, I got a... I think you, you called me or I called you. Mm-hmm. And it turns out your cat had knocked a glass of water onto your computer and fried yeah. your computer. Absolutely. I have awesome. it here with me now. It's it's working again. <laughs> but man, that, what a horrible thing. I'm so sorry. It wasn't even like it, it didn't even glitch. It was just like I knew it was bad because it was just off. Like yeah. immediately, instantaneously off, could not turn it back on. And then I didn't have a computer for like a week and a half. Goodness. Well, I'm glad you got it worked out and that yeah. you're here and we can actually do this in person. Because it's, it's, it's easier and it's more fun when we can actually be in person. And Yeah, there's not that weird delay. Yeah, and just get to hang out and talk with each other. So mm-hmm. uh, you and I became Facebook friends Yes, a, a little while back, and that's how I found out about you because you were posting this thing called the Music Industry Job Board. Yeah. And for this company that you work for called Holix. Yes. And and the reason I wanted to talk with you is because when you're doing the, the industry job board, because there's so many people that I talk to and that are trying to get into the music industry, Mm-hmm. Um, or they're trying to get a new position in the in- industry. And they're always asking, you know, how do you do that? How are you, what kind of jobs do you find? And how do you get a job like that in the music industry or whatever? And, you know, there are, you know, Glassdoor, Monster, Indeed, some of those companies that you can, you know, you can put resumes on and find jobs and things. And I, from time to time, I'll see a music industry job posted on those. Mm-hmm. But I saw your thing and like you just, you just had this list compiled of just music industry jobs yeah you know from all across the country mm-hmm. and i was super impressed by that i was like you know i need to have this guy on to talk mm-hmm. because there are so many people that are looking for work in in music yeah and like this is a perfect place for people to go to 
to find information like that. So I'm like, I just got to, mm-hmm. had to get you on and to talk more about your company and what you do with Holix and cause you guys do quite a bit of stuff. So we do very little of it related to jobs, but I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit about everything. Um, so just real briefly, let's, let's go back. Tell me in my audience, you know, who you are, where you're from, what, mm-hmm. what got you into music to begin with. And then, and then we'll jump into all the deep fun stuff. Okay. Well, my name is uh, James Shotwell, as you already mentioned, and I do work for a company called Holix. Um, I guess my, my journey in music started when I was about 14 years old. I was always a fan of music, just like everybody came up in the world of alternative Christian music before even discovering mainstream music. I thought DC talk was as big as Nirvana for the longest time in my life. And I guess you could argue that they were. Yeah. Yeah. You could argue (laughs) that they were right. And, um, for a long time, I, my parents had taken me to these concerts and we moved to this tiny town in Michigan where there was a venue and it closed. And when I was 14 years old, I was in, um, whatever the, the social studies classes that you take in like seventh, eighth civics. I was in civics. And uh, I learned that every town has a budget for entertainment. And I learned that you could petition the town for money. So I asked the people that ran the venue that was now closed, how much it would cost to open it and put on a concert. And they told me it would cost, I don't know, like $2,500. And so I petitioned our tiny town, which probably has a population of 2,500 people for that money. And they gave it to me because surprise, surprise, there was no competition. And we put on a show and that led to another show. And I spent all of high school booking shows for this venue. And we had a whole bunch of um, alternative Christian rock bands at the time. This is the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. a lot of Tooth and Nail bands, Spoken, um, Living Sacrifice, stuff like that, heavier things come through. And I got into playing music, went to college for music business at the school called Ferris State University in Michigan. And from there, I wanted to work in the record label world, but I, I didn't like the job opportunities that came my way, kind of leads back into the job board later. Mm-hmm. And I found a job at a startup in Boston and it it went well. It got me out of Michigan to Boston and I was writing about music for a music blog at the time called Under the Gun Review, which uh, after getting to Boston, I sold to a company called Buzz Media. And that kind of helped me raise my profile a bit. But at the same time, our stage was struggling to keep its capital. Um, It was just a typical startup story, a lot of investment, not a lot of revenue, and people eventually started to pull out. So the company's collapsing. I'm still writing about music basically for free at blogs. And one day it just dawns on me to um, tweet at this company called Holix that I had used to access music promos, unreleased music, um, to for review purposes. And I just tweeted at them and I was like, what do you do for marketing? Like, who does your marketing? Who's this person that helps you do your business? And I didn't know it at the time, but there wasn't a person there. And the owner of the company tweeted back at me and he was like, well, why don't you just email me some ideas. So I sent him a bunch of ideas, one of them being the music industry job board. Mm. It's just a way to attract people to what the company was doing because I thought it was so interesting that there was like this business, almost like a B2B business in the music industry. You know, there's a lot of these jobs that kind of only people that are already in music know exist. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to tell people about other jobs that exist. And it led to a, it led to a part-time gig that thankfully turned full-time right around the time that our stage really, really ran out of money. And uh, that led me to Minneapolis. And it's still what I do today, uh, seven years in June. And my job there is as the director of customer engagement. So I handle all customer acquisition and retention efforts. I handle support tickets. I 
basically it's my job to know what every one of our nearly 600 clients is doing at all times and help them with whatever they need while also running all of our marketing efforts that include social media. We have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast. We have a blog. I write and create all the content for all of those channels in addition to all the other stuff I listed. And outside of that, I still write and uh, I write for Alternative Press. I've had bylines with Rolling Stone and Pitchfork and all of the music publications as well as a little bit of management and publicity, you know, whenever I have free time. Right. Exactly. (laughs) He sounds about like my schedule. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, wow. Okay. That's a lot of, a lot of stuff that you just kind of threw out there. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, with Holix, with the company that you're with now, so you have 600, around 600 clients. Yes. What kind of clients do you have and what, what is the purpose of them being a part of Holix? Like, what do you guys are do? What are you guys doing? Well, the the little lingo that we always say is Holix is the industry leader in uh, digital promotional distribution. So when I got into music journalism in the late 2000s, before 2010, everyone was still mailing each other CDs. So every week when I was in college, I would get a box of like 30 CDs from all sorts of record labels that everyone had paid, you know, a dollar each to ship to me or whatever. And you get, you times that by how many music blogs and whatnot are in existence. It really adds up really fast. So the founder, Matt Brown decided, well, why don't we do that digitally? And it's like private promotional pages that can only be accessed through secret links and we can track activity and engagement and use watermarking to prevent theft and really save people a ton of money. So uh, like a, the most popular Holix plan, for example, costs about a hundred dollars a month and you could, you could mail, 20,000 people a copy of your album they could all listen to it and you wouldn't blow that budget so that's a huge difference compared to trying to mail 20,000 CDs to people and you know there's a lot of you know back in those days you'd mail CDs to people and you would never know if they were even going to open it let alone listen to it they could steal it they could sell it so on and so forth we cut out all that and tried to really streamline the process Mm -hmm. and in 2020 those efforts kind of steer more towards radio promotion it's actually why I'm in Nashville right now we're rolling out some radio promo products but our, our goal is really just to make it easier and more engaging for people to share new and unreleased music with media influencers and even you know other members of a band the the group Slipknot for example they use Holix to record their albums so every member you know there's nine of them they all live in different places so one of them will upload his bass riff and then put it on their Holix account and then Corey the vocalist will download it and add his vocal track to it and so on and so forth and then they all meet at a studio to do like the final version of the record but to work on material they use Holix so mm. our clients range from artists like that to um, major labels like BMG uses Holix as their promotional service to a lot of independents, Tooth and Nail, Solid State, Epitaph, so on and so forth. So it's really anyone that has albums to promote in music. Um, there are services that are strictly radio-based that you could consider our competition, but our market is a little bit more niche in that it's built with journalism and kind of storytelling in mind. So anyone that ranges from a major label to an independent artist in Slovakia, I know joined last week. So it's, it's a pretty wide range. That's cool. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. And that's a, that's a cool thing that you're offering for people, especially, I think it's really good, especially for indie artists, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that are trying to get stuff out to, you know, press releases and, and things like that. That's what you're, yeah, it's a part of that. Sort of it's part of that, and stuff. you know, we've seen indie artists who got signed using Holix as kind of their press kit because you can blast a link to your, you can make a Holix promo. It's customized. It has, you know, a wallpaper and uh, just the whole design is meeting your brand and your aesthetic. And you can mail it out to all these people, all these labels, and then 
you can watch their individual engagement. So you can know if, you know, Sean from Rise Records listened to your release or Dave from Tooth and Nail listened to your release and what songs he listened to. So then an artist can go back and be like, hey, just following up, I saw you listen to track three on our record. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Mm. What did you think? And we found several examples of artists, you know, landing a manager or landing a booking agent or even getting into talks with a record label because they kind of see that the artist, you know, something that I always try to emphasize to musicians everywhere is the importance of coming across like you know what you're doing. Right. And we kind of hope that our product is so easy to use right out of the box that anyone can seem kind of more professional than they may be. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, because you're always wanting to give that quote-unquote illusion. Yeah. Hopefully it's not an illusion. Yeah. But yeah, you always want to present yourself better than what you, you might be. Yeah. Feel, or at least... That feels weird to say ha- that, Having but. your stuff more together, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is weird to say, but, you know, every, I, I'm actually tomorrow on our YouTube channel, there's a video about this, but every week there's a band, not an artist, but a band that tries to add me on LinkedIn. And that's a great example of the opposite of what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Where I think the idea is we're on every social platform, but it gives this very negative impression. So mm-hmm. ours is that it's, it's really just trying to help people, you know, we want people to be able to focus on making music that they love, that they care about. And are, we hope to give them tools that doesn't require them to also learn coding and all these other steps. They can just focus on making the music and we will help them look good. Yeah. That's a better way to say it. That's cool. That's good. Um, so then explain what the music industry job board is. Cause that's, again, that's how you and I first connected yeah. was through that. Happy to. Um, it's my baby. Um, it's, it's my pride and joy. Uh, the music industry job board is a free to use uh, job board updated several times throughout the week that runs on holixdaily.com. That's our blog. And it's curated by me. So I do use a lot of the websites that you mentioned. Uh, Indeed specifically is a really good source. But I also go through um, the very time consuming work of, you know, specific jobs at different record labels or um, disc makers or promotions companies seeking jobs. I get a lot of jobs in my inbox all the time. And my goal is really, you know, I like Indeed. I think that it's a cool company, but you know, anyone that's ever tried to look up music business on Indeed, they'll tell you that there are a lot of choir director jobs available in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to work in the music business per se, that's not really the same thing to the most part. And so there's just a lot of this clutter that fills up on these pages, things that aren't really in the field of music. So I really want to strip that away. And then my other goal is just to make it easy to browse and free because nothing drives me crazy crazier than a site um there's an entertainment careers website where they'll show you the job listings but you have to pay for the application info and right. that's silly and linkedin has a pretty okay job functionality but again i i don't like where you i don't like these companies that kind of keep you on the service so if you apply to a job on linkedin you usually contact them through linkedin and it's like well are they checking that inbox is it going to a hiring director or is it just going to some bmg default inbox for them to see there's a lot of questions so I, I try to strip it all away to be like this is how you directly connect with the person that wants to hire for this job that is a real job that needs x y and z mm-hmm. that's cool how many jobs do you think are every time you update it like how many is there like an average number of jobs that are listed at any given time we try to do 30 per update or so. I mean, it is, like I said, it's time consuming. Yeah. So, I mean, and that might not seem like a lot to some people, but if you're looking just for like legitimate jobs that are actually hiring in the industry that I think most people at least have a shot at getting, I don't really go after like CEO of this startup or anything sure. like that. Yeah. I go after marketing directors, promotions, coordinators, um, booking and things like that. So we do about 
we try to do up to about a hundred jobs per week on a good week. It all kind of depends on the, you know, how the industry is going that week, but up to a hundred is, is our goal, but we'll do more if, if, if demand is there. And so, uh, particular jobs, like you said, promotions, mm-hmm. um, you know, label jobs, producer jobs. Do you guys Producers. ever have that kind of stuff? Like we that? do do some production jobs. We have some management jobs. Okay. Sometimes bands will email us and be like, we need, you know, a booking agent, a manager, um, a, a tour driver, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, through doing the job board, I've gotten a lot of really interesting connections with, you know, private Facebook groups and otherwise where people will post, you know, short, short uh, lead job opportunities. Like, you know, we have a tour leaving in two weeks and our, our manager backed out and we need something. So I, I try to throw those in there whenever mm-hmm. they come up, as long as the people agree with kind of getting the word out there. That's good. Um, that's cool. Cause and one of the things I think is really neat is that it's not just focused on Nashville, mm-hmm. you know, or just LA there's stuff kind of all across the country. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, you get the big city yeah. things, but you've also got smaller markets as well throughout kind of strewn throughout, you know, the country that, that might be needing something. And so, and for people that don't live in a big city or don't want to move to a big city to do music, but there's something that's out there for them, you know, and that's always kind of a tricky thing. So that the fact that you've got a list for people that they can go to, mm-hmm. which is, which is great. So I, pre- I appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Well, I live in, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a, a B or C market, depending on who you ask in the music sure. business. And, and I like it there. And I think a lot of people, yeah love where they live and they, they don't want like I, I personally I think you and I talked about this on the last time is like I don't really like New York and Los Angeles as somebody who has to go there half a dozen times every year right. I want to be able to I want to be able to do what I love without having to abandon the people that I love and yeah. I, so I, a, a part of my passion with the job board is to find those jobs that are in unique places or remote work which is becoming increasingly popular in the music yeah. industry that's what i do i work from home yeah and it's also i mean you're the the living embodiment of someone who's being successful in the music industry and not living in a major music city yeah we we go back and forth with it my my partner works for live nation and she's great at her job and sometimes they they, they talk about maybe bringing her out to los angeles but we've kind of firmly put our foot down and been like unless unless you know they offer us a life-changing amount of money. We don't want to go to Los Angeles. Sure. <laughs> so I want to backtrack for a minute because you were when you were first talking about growing up, mm-hmm. you were like 14 when you learned how to be become a promoter, a concert promoter mm-hmm. in your town. Basically. And did that through all throughout high school and mm-hmm. like that's such a cool thing. And I think that's really encouraging for for listeners, especially younger listeners that listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a lot of high school and college students that listen. Yeah. And I think that's really encouraging for them. Can you talk a little bit, kind of some detail of, you know, how you figured out how to go about talking to the city to, mm-hmm. to get funds to be able to start doing promotion in your city and how you built you know, a career and a business doing that mm-hmm. during high school. You know, yeah. That's, that's very unique. It's, it's kind of crazy. It seems it, at the time it was a very obvious A to B. I think when you're young, you're just like, well, this is what you do. Sure. Um, in hindsight, it was weird. So every town has a budget and you, and it's publicly available. You can look it up. If you don't know how to find it, you can email your town, but probably your city or town website has a link to the budget buried in all of its meeting notes. And if you look, there's usually an entertainment budget and, um, the, the town council board, however they, however they, 
you know, billet, they have quarterly or annual meetings where they will discuss funding for the upcoming quarter or year. And they'll hear pitches from people who want to use town funds to do whatever. This is where money for things like the 4th of July celebration and parade comes mm-hmm. from. That's, that's where that budget is. So in, in my case, my town had, I think, uh, I think it was even like $25,000 set aside. And this is a town of literally 2,500 people, if not less. I think it's technically a village at this point. Okay. And, and uh, cornfields everywhere. Right. I mean, it is Midwest as can be. And there is this budget that, for the life of me, I don't know if we ever spent it. I think it's the kind of budget where it's already always there. And maybe we used it for like a harvest festival or the 4th of July parade or whatever, but it wasn't really being utilized. So I I realized that there was probably money left over. And so you just put together, um, they might have a form online, but it's really just about putting together a presentation. You know, think of it as like giving a five minute speech to your class in high school or something like that. Just a, just a reason why you need to do this thing. And, And for me, it was always just about doing one concert and it was not even like, I didn't want to book big bands. I just wanted to book my friends and I wanted to open this space up because you know, we moved to Michigan to that town when I was like nine going on 10 and we spent new years there watching this ska band, this Christian ska band buck play there. Yeah. So good. And then the place closed not that long after. So when we opened it up back at 14, I was like, I just want all my friends to have that experience because I guess what's always attracted to me to the music business is that I, I love the idea that music can change your mood or one song can change your life. And my, my passion is, you know, connecting people with the next thing that's going to change their lives. So I was like, if I could book my bands at this show in our, in our little farming town and all my friends from school came, they would understand why, why I love this thing so much. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just did one show, we got the money to put on one show. And if you don't have a venue in your town, you could do, you know, maybe it's a pop-up performance downtown. You can rent a stage or whatever you have to do, you know, make a space that is within fire code and make it work. Right. Um, and if you get that one show and it works, then, you know, just focus on the next show. When I was in high school, I never thought that it would be something that I would be doing six months down the road. It was always just like, I want to see Spoken play in, in my tiny town and Spoken came and played in our tiny town and then they did it two or three times and, and you know, it just kind of built snowball, but it was always just focusing about the next, taking that one more step, you know, one more show, one more whatever and harvesting a local community. We would do shows with local bands in between and, you know, truth be told, especially if you're marketing to like alternative Christian communities or, you know, a, a genre that's a little outside the norm, local bands might pull better than touring acts. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember having Calibretto 13 who are on tooth and nail records play and they would have, you know, 50 kids come out and the next night I'd have my friends in high school play and 300 people showed up. It was just yeah. it's small town mentality. But, you know, I, I talk a lot at colleges and I always tell people that, you know, the money exists and the interest exists. It's this, just that like most people, um, you probably don't know how easy it is to get access to that kind of stuff unless you just go out there and try. And so you're talking about going like to city hall mm-hmm. talking to people. I think mine was in my public library cause we didn't have a city hall. Right. But, okay. But, but, but yeah. that, that, that govern, government yeah. entity, it was a government entity. I sat there with them. I, I think I actually, I probably made a PowerPoint, um, on word or something, mm-hmm. you know, like on actual PowerPoint, Microsoft office. And I, I just told them, you know, I want to do this. It's going to be a drug free, drink free environment. Cause I was 14 at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, all, all we want is enough to do one because the town doesn't have this thing or it's something that our town is lacking. And I think it could bring in a lot of, you know, it, it give kids something to do in a safe space and it would create a sense of community. And, you know, they voted and it passed. And I think we even got in the local paper at the time um, because papers still existed back then. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it just, 
you know, I don't know why they said yes. And if I could go back, I think a lot of them have died at this point, sadly. But if I could go back, I would, I would want to know like what made them say yes. But really, it was just about, you know, bringing, making it clear to them that it wasn't about a party. It was about, you know, the sense of community that any of us that work in music are always kind of like, that's the dragon that we choose to chase, I think. is mm-hmm. like finding people that like the things that we like and then making more people like the stuff that we sure. like. Now, when you when you booked that first show in order to book a second show did you have to have a certain number of people show up did you have to make so much money Mm -hmm. back for them to say let's we're willing to let you do this again and have more you know more funds or you know how how does that work a second time well um so the money basically was enough to cover let's say the the couple that owned the venue that was closed Uh, they still live in my hometown and they own that building at the time so they own the building already they already had uh, lights and a sound you know they had to hire someone to run that stuff but they Mm -hmm. technically had all those things so what it came down to was there was a number that was how much money you needed to make to keep the lights on basically. So thankfully, because we lived in the middle of nowhere and they already owned the property, I think that number was like $350. It was pretty low. So, and I'm guessing they didn't take anything out of that. So the first show, the first money was enough to buy, probably keep the lights on for several months, put a little money in their pocket and put on that first show. And that first show is contingent. Success was contingent on making enough money to cover that base amount. So, Mm We got $350 in the door. The show was technically a success because everything was paid for. And then we could do another show. But there were there's only a couple of times where it didn't work out. But thankfully, we had the forward momentum. You know, sometimes you'd make $600 instead of $350. And so that there would be that extra money in the back. But it was always contingent on just meeting whatever the bare minimum was. I didn't get paid. I don't know if they took any money themselves. I think they sold they sold snacks and things like that. But it was very very DIY in the truest sense of the form. And it's just like, all we need is enough money to make sure that everyone gets, all the bands are paid, the lights stay on. And mm-hmm. if we can do that, we'll keep doing shows. And thankfully we did until it, 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 sadly it closed. When I, when I went to college, nobody like wanted to step up and take over. So we did like one final performance. that was kind of a little bit more expensive. Yeah. And then we, then it was closed forever. And now I think it's an auto shop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's sad, but, um, <laughs> But that's such a cool thing that you did and we're able to do that. And that's, that's encouraging for for listeners to hear that that are wanting to go into concert promotion mm-hmm. and they want to do it in their hometown or maybe in their region, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out how to do that. And this is giving them some opportunities to, to know, okay, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Here's how you go about doing it. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. And then so once you went off to college and then you started what was the next company that you started again? Uh, it was a music writing. So it was a website called Under the Gun Review was my next thing, my next big project. Okay. So you were doing that for a while and then you ended up selling that, right? Yeah. I sold it to Buzz Media, which became... And Buzz Media is yeah. pretty, pretty massive. They were massive at the time. Um, they've become several other things since then. Spin Media, Spin Media Group, I mm-hmm. think. And now, you know, uh, that dissolved and Spin is owned by somebody else and so forth. But yeah, at the time, Buzz Media owned Stereo Gum. They owned... Um, a chunk of Pitchfork, I think. They own pretty much every major music blog around 2010. So I'm curious because, there, again, people listening that want to go into journalism, music journalism, mm-hmm. you know, they're writing for blogs, kind of doing what, what you were doing back then. Um, what is it that makes a company come to you and say, we want to buy you out, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then, and how do you... I'm not asking for specific numbers on what they paid you for it, but my, I'm curious of how do you make that determination of, 
okay, this is this is what this is worth to me, mm-hmm. you know, or th- or to them, you know, for them to say, okay, yeah, we're willing to pay you so much money for this. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, I'll talk about all of it. It doesn't bother me. Um, well, um, what made what made the site something that people wanted to buy? I, I think what makes any good blog or uh, YouTube, like right now I'm really into YouTube critics. Um, so I think that that's kind of the future right now, our podcast critics. Mm-hmm. What makes any of those things really good is just having a unique voice, a unique perspective, and not so much covering all of the big stories, but really zeroing in on um, a few a few very niche markets that appeal to the person. Like if I were to start a music blog today, I'd probably write a lot about artists like Ben Rector and Need to Breathe and Drew Holcomb. That's mm-hmm. what I listen to right now. Yeah. And I would still cover the mainstream stuff, but like when those artists did something, I would really be drilling into like what it is and what it means and picking it apart and kind of becoming a hub. Because at the end of the day, any of those channels, it's really about any of those websites channels, it's all, it's all about developing a community. And, uh, even if it's a, a small, but fervently dedicated community, it's all about just, you know, it's, you know, over time you develop things like your own language in a way, you know, mm-hmm. your own slang, your own memes in, in today's marketplace. And I'm really obsessed with this guy on YouTube. I'm sure your listeners probably are well aware of called the needle drop. This guy, Anthony Fantano, he, he makes music reviews and, if you look at his audience, they make memes of him and he interacts with them. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like its own world. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I, I want to, I don't want to say that we did that with my website, but we were just coming up at this time when alternative music and, uh, you know, tooth and nail solid state, but also victory records and epitaph and hopeless, they were all really taking off and thriving. And we were trying to cover that scene as well as possible, but we were open about things we didn't like. And, we were passionate about the things that we loved and we tried to go deeper than most people. You know, we, we didn't really do boilerplate interviews. We always tried to have conversations with people and just give, give fans. I, I always ask myself, like if I was a person who loved the artist that I'm covering on my website or whatever it is, mm-hmm. what would I want to know? And if I can't offer them that, then I have to find a way to give them that. But if you're just giving them something that I can find anywhere, like tour dates, for example, you're not really going to, build anything because tour dates are everywhere you right. gotta have something that sets you apart sure so when buzz media came to me um long story short they they basically sent me an offer letter and they they said well how much do you think your website is worth which when you're like 19 years old you're like i don't know what what are what is anything worth <laughs> um so i talked to a bunch of people and i was like i don't know it's like should i say like a million dollars and then and they were like lol no um <laughs> yeah they they're like no i think think much smaller um so i was like i don't know i i think i asked them for like thirty thousand dollars at one point up front plus ad revenue in the back end and they were like well we'll give you ten thousand dollars We'll host your website for free. You remain in control and we'll give you revenue sharing on ads for, uh, you know, a, a group of websites that all kind of cover alternative music. Cause they also bought absolute punk and a few other websites at the same time. And so I was like, um, well, that's more money than I had ever heard of in my life. Right. <laughs> I have up to that point. I, I had, I just graduated. So I just had student loan bills showing up and I was like $10,000. That'll help. Um, so I, I took that deal and then, um, that's that's really when I learned about the world of media groups. Uh, nowadays, when I talk to people about it, I, if I could go back, I probably wouldn't have sold right then. 
might have been able to hold out. I didn't know I was 19. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't know anything. Classic music industry story, right? Like someone, you wanted something, they offered you less and you were like, I guess no one else is going to offer me anything. (laughs) But then about, about a year after that deal was made, they had never paid us any revenue and from ads. And I I learned that they hadn't paid anybody any revenue from ads. And so what happened is there is this thing, I forget what the, the industry term is for it, but half of the board sold their shares of the company to the other half of the board. And they, the other half of the board had started a new business called Spin Media Group. And when Spin Media Group acquired those shares, they did not have to pay any of the money that they owed any of the websites. So they basically just, you know, kind of, you know, just pulled one over on everybody. So we never saw another dime from it. But when the media group initially, when they went bankrupt because all their investors pulled out, they gave us our website back. So we got it back in the long run. Okay. But it was, uh, it was a wild time. And I remember once (laughs) or one time the money did not last because I had other people that helped me. I had co-creators and stuff like that. But when I got the check, I remember I had to go to a gas station. I was living in Boston at the time and uh, use an ATM and the ATM didn't give me a receipt and I had to ask the guy to help me. And I remember it gave him their seat and he told the girl in the gas station that she should marry me because yeah. <laughs> he was like, this guy has money because you know, the receipt <laughs> said like 10. I mean, honestly, it was probably said like $10,001. You know, right. <laughs> like it was, yeah. I was so broke and I had just cashed the check and I was like, I'm going to get money out. I remember that guy being like, you, you should marry this guy right here. And I was <laughs> like, awesome. hi, I, I'm James. Um, so that was my one moment of, uh, of spotlight there. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, I'm glad you got the website back and were able to do mm-hmm. do more with, with that. Um, and that led you on into music journalism. And again, you're so you started writing articles for what you said rolling stone i've written for rolling stone i actually did photographs and writing for rolling stone yeah so i mean like what leads you down that path how do how do you get connected with rolling stone and billboard and these huge music publications to start writing for them really um like it's you know that old saying about you know it's all about who you know does kind of come into play Mm -hmm. here but in, in journalism specifically it's all about who likes you so you know, I don't know at what point it clicked in my brain, but I realized at some point that if somebody is pitching me the new Taking Back Sunday album, for example, they're probably also pitching Rolling Stone the new Taking Back Sunday album because it's the same publicist. So I would just focus in on the artists that I really loved and I would just try everything in my power to make sure that their publicist not only knew who I was, but liked me. And, uh, you know, and I was not, not saying that I wouldn't write the truth if I didn't like something, I would, I'd be honest with them, but I, I tried to really work on having a personal relationship with somebody, you know, not just, I like this record you're promoting, but how's, how's your wife, how's the kids, how's Hermosa Beach, California, wherever, whatever, wherever they live, you know, know something about them. Sure. And that ends up, you know, that weirdly enough, that ends up pouring over to what I do now at Holix because a lot of those publicists that I started writing writing for or with I guess uh, 12 years ago now I, I are now clients at Holix and I've known them for over a decade because they're like I used to read your writing when you were a terrible writer and now you're a pretty decent marketing person um, but over the years, sometimes things would just come up like Rolling Stone. The first time it, it, it came up because I was living in Boston and I was um, friends with a woman at Warner Brothers because she was working with uh, Taking Back Sunday of all people at the time. And she called me one morning on record store day and she goes, hey, do you plan to go to record store day today? I was like, yes. And she goes, so we have the band Fun performing a surprise show at this Newberry Comics downtown and Rolling Stone wants to cover it, but they don't have anyone in town. Can you do it? 
and I was just like, where? You know, I didn't right. no other questions. Just like, tell me when. Yep. So I went and I, you know, I, I didn't even have, I wouldn't even say I had great equipment at the time, but I just took what I had and I, you know, did what I do and sent it off. And sure enough, they ran it. I mean, they never paid me for it, but they ran it and I get to use Rolling Stone in my, in my bio all the time. Right. But that led to other opportunities. And a lot of, a lot of things have fallen into place just by having those relationships. Um, you know, music photography as a tangent from journalism. At one point, they opened a new comedy club in Boston, and I just happened to email them to ask if I could take pictures of all the comedians. And they let me do that for a while, and they ended up paying me for it a little bit. But more importantly, at some point along the way, Dennis Leary has a charity event in Boston every year. And one year, their photographer dropped out, and he called the you know the comedy club to say, do you guys know any photographers? And they called me, and for the next five or six years, I photographed his annual charity event, which has like Michael J. Fox and, you know, all the big Jim Gaffigan, all the big mm-hmm. comedians right. do this event in a basketball arena that's sold out to like 20,000 people. And I got to hang out all day backstage with Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that, just because I kind of forged those relationships. And when, you know, when somebody got into a in jam, I made sure I was available so that when someone they knew got into a jam, mm-hmm. they would turn to me and ask if I could help them. Yep. And we talk about that all the time on the show is the, the, amazing importance of relationships and connecting with people and you know because that's that's where everything happens in this business it very little is done on resumes yeah in music you know it's all it's who you know and because you were made yourself available Mm -hmm. you know to someone in their moment of need and they're they know your work ethic and what you're capable of that just keeps opening doors new doors and new doors and new doors and then you know it gets you to where you are now so yeah, I actually, you know, I, I have a lot of, I have side hustles all the time, but my, my recent side hustle that I love is uh, I do a lot of VIP work for Live Nation, VIP Nation, CID Entertainment, but that started last year because I have a friend who works with Kids Bop full time. And oh, yeah. you, you're you seeing me right now. You can see that I'm in my 30s and have gray hair. But I got a phone call one morning and she was like, my, my VIP person dropped out today. Do you want to work Kids Bop for the next eight hours? And I was like, oh, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever I, because as, as a, my interest in music, at this point in my life is I, I obsess over I like I like to see the nuts and bolts of how something works so something mm-hmm. like Kids Bop you know they play these 13,000 seat amphitheaters in the summer and I'm like how does that what is that you know what is a Kids Bop live tour so I did that and uh, in the months since then I've worked for a bunch of stadium shows people get I get a call I get calls randomly now where they'll be like I need someone to work VIP for a legitimately cool rock show you know what I mean yeah. so and, what does that mean for listeners that you're, you're working VIP at some concert. So VIP, it, it, it depends on what the VIP packages. I think uh, your listeners are probably well aware of this if they go to concerts, but VIP packages are a huge deal in ticketing these days. It's, it's where artists are making their, their extra scratch, if you will. So in the world of Kids Bop, for example, um, a, a VIP package costs $60. You get to come to the show early. You get a little gift bag that has like a, a poster in it of the, of the, boppers the kids yeah you know those kids right um and then the at stars the, of the show at the will. stars of the show and then at the end of the night the kids you get a photograph with the with the kids bops okay kids kids bop kids um recently i got a last minute phone call to work a um breaking benjamin and corn arena show and that included a museum of corn artifacts i got to hold a grammy and their mtv <laughs> music awards um but it pays like basically these events pay because I know that that's something your listeners are probably curious about. These events pay you a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars for six hours, six to eight hours of work. Where basically you're setting up and tearing down a booth, 
and just you know checking people in and making sure that they're happy to be there mm-hmm. you know uh, in, in the case of the corn concert those vip con- tickets were 350 to 400 dollars a pop so these are people who really really love these bands and they're right. showing up an hour before doors so that they can stand on the barrier of the arena and i don't know not go to the bathroom for the next six hours something i could never do but it's all about just making them feel as special you know you represent the band in these situations but it's a really good side hustle it's good money if you can get into it and it's it for people that want to tour if you find your way if you go to like cidentertainment.com or vipnation.com you can apply to be an ambassador in up to five cities and they will call you or email you if they have opportunities for any of the tours and they're in town and if you build up good reputations there like my friend at kids bop did then one day they'll call you and they say we need a vip coordinator and you will travel on a tour bus and you will be a part of the touring industry full time and only worry about VIP setup and teardowns. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, she. You know, she was somebody that comes from the world of rock. My friend with Kids Bop, and I don't think she'll ever let go of that Kids Bop job. Now, she's sure. like, it's easy. She's like, it's good money. Everyone on the tour is, you know, old, you're my our age or older, and they're all just, you know, these kids pay our bills. It's not about you know being a rock star to those people. They're just industry professionals who want an easy, solid, reliable living, and Kids Bop pays those bills. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And so in order to be able to get into, you had a friend that got you into it initially. Yeah, just happened to call me one day. Right. So, but for, for listeners, they're, they're like, okay, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a cool thing. Even if it's just a every now and then. Yeah. Setup deal. Is that, you're talking about going to that website? Yeah. That's what gets you into it? CID. So C, okay. CID is in dog, entertainment.com. They do VIP for artists like the Lumineers right now. I know that they're running theirs. And then VIP Nation is owned by Live Nation. Right. Probably pretty obvious. Um, they do all of the Live Nation acts. So, you know, this summer it'll be Guns N' Roses and BTS and all of that. So they have a tour ambassador who is the, uh, the, the person who's in charge of it in every city. And they hire anywhere from one of six people every single day to work these shifts and they all make 100 150 dollars and they pay you with a check at the end of the night you don't even got to like wait for it it's it's immediate and you get to go to the show so you know if you don't have money to go to some of these big stadium shows that you want to go to you know trying to get into work vip is kind of a cool exchange you get paid to go basically absolutely and you get to work with the artists on some yeah. level and be around, at least be around them. And you at least get to see their team. You know, yeah. I, I don't think people. So sometimes you don't realize how many people it takes to run those shows. You know, yeah. and then you you work at one and you're like, oh, there are like 45 people that aren't on stage. Oh you yeah, know, that are that are back that are just living their lives, and that's where you can. That's that's an easier way to find work than trying to go through the people on stage. Sure, yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share any, just as we wrap up here, any sort of last bits of advice, um, mm-hmm. some do's or don'ts for people that are trying to get into the music industry, whether it be, you know, in, in music journalism, mm-hmm. um, promotions, what are all the things that you've been a part of? Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, there's other things that we haven't even talked about. I know yeah. that you do. Um, and just to your, your experience, you know, mm-hmm. what are some, some, um, some advice that you could share for people? Well, um, I, I try to tell people not to worry too much if you don't feel like you know anybody because the industry is surprisingly small and 
you know, for better and for worse, everybody does know everybody. So if you can forge even one connection with somebody that knows someone else, then it is like six degrees of Kevin Bacon to get to anybody else in the industry. And, and I'm already one degree from him. Yeah. Because I got t- I got friends that are that tour with him. There you go, right there. <laughs> see, see. And so you have access to everybody. That's right. It's pretty much. Yeah. Even before you're doing this, I think we probably have more mutuals than we realized just oh, yeah. because of that. Sure. Um, and I always say, you know, make yourself available, but also look for look for openings or problems that you think you can solve. And don't even try to be the person that they hire to solve it, but always be willing to offer a solution. You know, going back to getting my job with Holix, I was looking at their Twitter account one day while I was sitting at this startup who's who was just falling apart around me, um, feeling real down about myself. And I just happened to wonder, I was like, how does a company that only that helps you know record labels connect with journalists how do they market themselves to those people how do you reach out to them um and when i reached out i found out that they didn't know you know they didn't know how to do it so i found an opening and i and i made some suggestions and thankfully they allowed me to have the opportunity to do it but so often the music industry is you know kind of thrives on innovation and coming up with solutions and even if you think it's a small solution or you or it's a one-day job working vip somewhere or volunteering for you know whatever it happens to be street team work you'd be surprised at how often that leads to the next opportunity and the next opportunity i i you know i i feel like i've been i'm fortunate to do a lot of things and i've done a lot of things i don't i only think we talked about i had a record label for a long time in there and you know it all just starts with like one decision so like when i decided to pitch for that venue to open in my hometown at 14 that is the domino that leads us to sitting here when I'm 32 years old talking to you right now. And no matter how old you are, I see it all the time where somebody comes up with an idea and it changes everything. You know, my partner works at live nation, which is probably the biggest entertainment company in the world right now. And constantly she tells me about, or she is the person who makes a suggestion on a phone call or in an email to somebody and it influences company policy changed on a huge level or it creates jobs or it takes jobs away or whatever it happens to be it it, the industry is can always be refined further in whatever you can do to kind of get in there um as a don't my biggest thing is just keep your mouth shut unless somebody has like really hurt you i mean there's uh, obviously we live in an age right now where people are more and more uh sensitive to any kind of assault abuse anything that's not what i'm talking about if those things happen absolutely speak up right if Jeff at Warner Music Group is not returning your emails. However, don't don't go after Jeff. <laughs> you don't, know, don't keep calling and emailing it's a bad and look. saying, "Hey, yeah. hey, hey." We're... Yeah, it's it's a bad look. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes sometimes you do have to accept a loss here and there. You know, I do a lot of bio writing for artists. In fact, right before you walked in, there's somebody that I've been hounding for about five weeks now to pay me for a, a band bio that is being used right now in national publications all over the place. I see my own writing all the time and I'm like, I never got paid for that thing. Mm. Sometimes it's going to happen. You're going to take the L, but at the end of the day, somebody's going to see it and ask, you know, who did this thing? And you know, another opportunity will probably spring up from there. So be, you know, you roll with the punches, keep your mouth shut unless it is, you know, it's tantamount to like real, real harm unless harm is being done. And, you know, just, just keep pushing it. And always, and lastly, I guess, 
only chase the things that you're really passionate about. I mean, if you are on the fence, you can't sell somebody something that you don't yourself want to buy. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing about music, as you want to get into journalism, write about the stuff that you're passionate about. I don't care if, if all you love is Post Malone, who I'm just picking because he's one of the biggest artists in the world right now, then write about Post Malone better until you write about him better than anybody else. And places like Rolling Stone are going to ask you to write about him. But if you, you know, love some niche grindcore band in your hometown then write about them as if they're post like write about write the story about them that you want to read in rolling stone and the mm -hmm. same you'll get to the same end end result and you might get there faster because you're you're zeroing in on something that again the industry needs the industry needs to hear the story of that band in your hometown let me ask you this real quick just you're talking about you know if you're just writing for someone local that you believe in um and it's just kind of your own your own blog We'll talk it let's say that mm -hmm. you know you got your own blog and you're doing this like how would you encourage people to start building that base mm. to build listeners or, or followers readers that are going to pay attention you know how, how are you getting that out there for people to to respond to does that make sense Oh, absolutely. You know, I, as weird as it is to say these days, I think every ba band and or brand, it, it's a personality thing. You know, it's people are attracted to things that they feel like they can be a part of and things that they relate to. So it's, it's, it is about the music, obviously, but it's about the, it's about the inspiration or what's driving the creativity and the end result, which is the music. The music is the last thing, you know, that's, that's the thing that everyone, you know, gets, can hear whatever, but it's the story of how we got there. It's a story about the person who's making that thing, mm -hmm. that that's really what draws people in. I mean, mm -hmm. my, my favorite artist for the last couple of years has been Jason Isbell. And the thing about Jason Isbell that I come back to again and again is whether you're listening to his music or you're watching his Twitter feed, or you're even just looking at a photograph of the guy, there's something innately, about him that when I see it or I, or I hear it or I read it, I just feel like I know this guy. He knows like I am this guy to some mm -hmm. extent, for whatever reason, he's touching on something that I can connect with, you know, and you know, not every, not every band is going to write those kind of songs and not every, you know, not every artist is going to reach that huge level, but everyone has a story. You know, there are only so many stories in the world to tell and they can be made as relatable or as, non-relatable as you wish to try to make them. And mm -hmm. I think leaning into the things that you have into the commonalities that we share is really the key to success over the long run. The band I'm working with a band right now that took a couple of years off because the lead singer realized that he had some childhood trauma he hasn't dealt with. And now that he's back, the stuff that he's writing and the stuff that we're talking about and the stuff that we're promoting are these ideas of, you know, we're taking a real direct approach to mental health conversations and discussions. And we're kind of building, it's less about check out our new song and it's more about like, let's get better together. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're marketing. And I think that people are attracted to that idea of like, you know, maybe the music will help you get there. Maybe it won't. But at the end of the day, you can join this guy on his journey to feeling better. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for for coming to Nashville and absolutely and for letting me spend some time with you and get to know you better and yeah. hear your story and um, your advice for for listeners. And I really, really appreciate it. And I know people are going to take take this information and put it into practice. And mm -hmm. I look forward to, to hearing what what people do with it you know, mm -hmm. just based off of your advice. So well, thank you. I appreciate it very can much. Can I plug some stuff? You sure can. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. It's James D is in dog shot. Well, um, you find me at my YouTube channel. It's called music biz. I have no idea how I got to use the name music biz and no one had claimed it yet, but that, <laughs> that is it. So if you go there and you search music B I Z, 
that is me. I, I host every single video. You can look at my face until you're sick of it. I know I am. And uh, I have a podcast. It's called Inside Music. You can find that everywhere that podcast exists. And I have a, a new podcast. It's called High Notes. And it's it's a podcast about addiction in the music industry, uh, drug addiction specifically, and um, how our perception of musicians can sometimes inform our empathy. It's it's a show that's really near and dear to me, not because I, I'm an addict in recovery myself, but a lot of my friends in music are, and um, some of them will be on the show, but it's really about, the goal is to help people understand addiction better and to hopefully start conversations in homes. I think we all know someone in our lives that are going through that. So it'll have a, a bunch of a bunch of alternative musicians. Some some already confirmed guests are Tommy Vex from Bad Wolves, Anthony Green of Circus Survive, uh, Burt McCracken of The Used, uh, the rapper Mod Son, and many more. So keep an eye out on that. It's a limited series podcast, eight episodes in the first season. And lastly, because I uh, I don't think I've uh, over <laughs> given you way too much in this podcast already. <laughs> you're good. It's awesome. Um, check out the band that I work with. My one of the bands I work with right now that we're promoting pretty heavily is called You Me and Everyone We Know. It's um, pop rock kind of band from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's the one I was just talking about. We deal with mental health and everything. The new song called Fine or just F I N E comes out on February 28th, but we will, uh, we'll be all over the place this summer. So if you want to meet me, I'll wherever that band is, you can find me in a corner somewhere. That's cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. And what is the, cause you've got a podcast that you're doing currently already. Mm-hmm. So what is that podcast? That's called Inside Music, and it is presented by Holix, which I should absolutely probably plug the company that I work for in here. Um, uh, Inside Music is a podcast about life in the music industry. So it's it's a lot of musicians, but there are several entertainment professionals in there as well. And it's a conversation not so much about the thing that they have to promote, though, of course, we talk about that. It's about the realities of working in music. It's about demystifying the rock star image or the... Uh, you know, it's a dream job or it's a vacation kind of job. It's mm-hmm. about the the realities of really making it work in the music industry and the toll that it takes, the costs of it and everything. And that sounds heavy, but it's also a lot of fun. There's 189 episodes of it out in the world right now. And I'm recording 190 uh, this week while I'm here in Nashville with a band called Selfish Things. And then lastly, check out holics.com, the industry's leading music promotion service, H-A-U-L-I-X.com. It's almost like you've done this before. Yeah, it's like I plug it all the time. I, I honestly resisted saying the whole plug. No, I I'm glad you back. did. No, I, I, I appreciate you. I, I appreciate you coming all the way to this uh, Airbnb that is the size of most people's bedrooms <laughs> to awesome. hang out with me while I sit on a bed and talk to you. I'm glad that uh, I didn't break your computer in this this interaction. <laughs> yes. And uh, awesome. I really like your shoes, so you're going to have to tell me where you got them when uh, we're done. I, I will do that. Okay, perfect. Um, so one of the cool things I wanted to say is that with your with that podcast inside music it's similar to what what this podcast is Mm -hmm. you know i mean there's a little different take on it but it's a lot of the same talking with industry professionals and musicians and people kind of across the board in music Mm -hmm. you know and the ups and downs and kind of like i said demystifying what the industry is about and so people can understand that from my perspective it's you know i'm trying to get people that are wanting to be a part of the industry yeah. To show them that you can do it, that mm-hmm. there are ways to get in and kind of help demystify, you know, that that sort of screen for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yours is kind of maybe on the flip side of that a little bit as far as just talking with, you know, with the artists and different things of saying, OK, here's <laughs> we've been through it. And here's <laughs> here's why it's maybe not as so hot that everyone thinks it is or whatever. But absolutely. Um, 
but that's cool. I'm glad that we both, you know, yeah. I, I was actually just had another friend on. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on my podcast. I was on her podcast because she has one as well. That's similar to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And we just kept saying that, you know, we're just reiterating for each other, mm-hmm. you know, the truths that we know and that we have learned and emphasizing those and just letting people hear that, you know, you can do this. If you're yeah. wanting to get get in, be a part of this, you know, it is very doable. But like I said, it's relationships and it's it's hard work and you put those two things together, you can be successful at it. So Absolutely. I like that yours is a lot about getting into it. I try to think of mine as mine is always about staying in it. It's just that's kind of like what I battle with all the time. Like yeah. my, my my struggle is always like where am I five years from now? Where am I 10 years from now? And my, my, my lesson that I always seem to take away is like, let's just, let's just worry about tomorrow. You yeah, know? absolutely. Right now, let's just, let's just be right here enjoying this conversation with you and yeah, we'll see if five years I'll get here. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, man, again, thank you so much for being on the show and I hope you have a great rest of the week here in town. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. Another amazing interview in the books. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation today. And I hope that you take what we're talking about and you find ways to implement them into what you are trying to do in the music industry. I really can't emphasize enough the importance of the music industry job board that James puts out through their company, Holix. I mean, this is like a go-to source for jobs in the music industry. So if you're looking for something, an entry job, you're just trying to figure out how to get into the music industry, you know, maybe you're trying to do something and you're trying to move up into a new level, of the industry, this is a great place to go and find jobs that are looking for people like you that are wanting to be in this industry. So please take advantage of that while you've got the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this podcast, please subscribe to it on the platform that you're listening to it on and share it with everybody that you know. That'd be amazing. I greatly appreciate that. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.